This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. You may have a true knowledge of his wisdom, truly know that God is wise, but you don't have, but you don't comprehend his wisdom. Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. I am joined here by my friend James Dolzo, as always. James, it's uh, good to be back with you. Likewise, Jonathan. So today we're going to talk about a subject that we've talked about a good bit before, and it's come up in other conversations that we've had even on the air. And that's the top. The topic that I want to address is divine incomprehensibility. Now, just uh, to to give the listener some background on this, uh, what divine incomprehensibility would seem to imply, and some people think think it does imply, is that we can't know God at all. He's incomprehensible. But why don't you define it the way traditional Reformed theology is defined? It? Uh, it is typical today to sort of elide the notion of comprehending and knowing. And, yeah. and we use these terms interchangeably. So it's understandable that if someone hears that God's incomprehensible, that sounds like he's unknowable altogether. Uh, when we say that God's incomprehensible, what we mean is that the knowledge of God cannot be contained in the mind of the creature. And the important term in that little definition is the term contained. We could make the distinction perhaps between comprehending and apprehending. Um, if I were to apprehend a thing, let's just say that I had a, a penny in my hand uh, and I were pinching the penny between two fingers, mm-hmm. this would be to grasp or to lay hold of it. Uh, apprehension or prehendere in the Latin is this idea of grabbing hold of a thing. Uh, to comprehend, to put that little prefix on the front of it, uh, is to is to hold it in its entirety. It would be the difference between perhaps holding it between my fingers and holding it in my fist so as to entirely enclose it. Um, To lay hold of a thing or to have hold of it is to apprehend it, uh, but to comprehend it is to hold it in its entirety so as to get all the way around it. So so the idea is not that there's nothing we can know or that we can't know God at all. It's simply that we can't comprehensively understand him. We, We can't fully grasp everything there is to know about God. Albert the Great said that we can touch God with our knowledge, uh, but not comprehend him. And so that it's true that our minds come into contact with the truth of God, but that in coming into contact with the truth of God, we have not, as it were, um, circumscribed God in our minds or in our thoughts. Another way of saying this would be to say that our thoughts of God, while true, are never actually adequate to or equal to the right. truth that we know. So, who would deny this, and why is it important to keep it in mind? Because uh, it strikes me that there, there's a sense in which, by that definition, uh, of course, we can't fully comprehend God, and actually, we can't fully comprehend one another, can we? I mean, I don't fully comprehend you in the sense that you've just described it. So how is this different when we're talking about God? Right. And I think, I think we need to make a distinction here in that um, when we say that God is not comprehensible, we're not saying simply that there's more to God than we currently know. This would be a sort of quantitative notion that there are certain things about God that are knowable and yet are either not revealed or are revealed but not yet known by me, when we say that God's incomprehensible, we're saying that even even those things that God has revealed 
to us are not comprehended by us. Uh, so that the incomprehensibility of God is is not the knowableness of God that lies on the other side of my okay. actually knowing, but rather it's it's in what I know that I don't comprehend. So that with you, I, you could say, yes, I don't fully comprehend you. But what you might mean by that is that there are things or truths about you that I do not yet know, right? Um, that I don't know you fully, right? Um, but there's a sense in which, to the extent that I do know you truly, those things that I know truly about you, at least potentially, I do comprehend. Okay. Um, I, to use the metaphor, I get my mind around it. Whereas, so if I said, if I said Jonathan is wise, mm-hmm. it's possible for me to comprehend your wisdom. That is to say, to to understand your wisdom. And the reason for that is because your wisdom is finite. Right. And my mind is finite. Right. Therefore, potentially, my finite mind could, as it were, get around, so to speak, your finite wisdom. So, is there anything about God that we can comprehend in the sense that you've described it? And the answer is no, uh, in that when we say that God, for instance, is good, wise, loving, just, true, eternal, all these things are known truly, but none of these is comprehended. In other words, you may have a true knowledge of the goodness of God, but you don't have a comprehensive knowledge of the goodness of God. Um, You may have a true knowledge of his wisdom, truly know that God is wise, but you don't have, but you don't comprehend his wisdom. The, The manner of his being wise So the manner of his being good is infinitely and purely actual so that while you know the truth of it, you do not, as it were, wholly contain or wrap up the truth of it in your thought of God. You ask the question, well, who opposes this? Um, I think there are those that want to insist that unless we comprehend agnosticism, you know, uh, unless we comprehend, then we know nothing at all. And I I think that that's a sort of um, false alternative to say either no true knowledge or comprehensive knowledge. And I I think that especially coming from a Christian, this overlooks uh, certain aspects of the biblical witness that give us reason to believe that God is incomprehensible. I mean, we could make the arguments from certain theological uh, truths like the infinity of God uh, and make the argument that um, if God is infinite and we are not, then there's no way for the truth of an infinite being to be contained in the mind of a finite being. We can make arguments like that. I think those are, are good arguments. Um, we could also make the argument from the doctrine of simplicity and say that God is simple, but our way of thinking is complex in parts in parts we think in parts we think from from major premises through minor premises to conclusions uh so that we have a multi-part way of thinking so we we could make arguments and say look you can have a true knowledge of the infinite god but you can't have an infinite knowledge of the infinite god or you can have a true knowledge of a simple god but you can't have a simple knowledge of a simple god so that we can always sort of identify those ways in which our thinking does not as it were match Match up up. one-to-one to the god that we think about. By the same token, I would argue that even without those sorts of arguments, you could make the case from Scripture that God is incomprehensible and we should have and we should expect there to be this, as it were, beyondness in our thoughts of God. And the text I like to go to is the one in in First Kings where Solomon is dedicating the temple to the Lord. And, you know, he's built this house for the Lord, for the, for the Lord's dwelling place. And in fact, just before he, just before he dedicates it uh, in verses 12 and 13, Solomon says, the Lord has said that he would dwell in the thick cloud 
Verse 13, I have surely built you a lofty house, a place for your dwelling forever. And you might think to yourself, well, that's it. We've actually built the thing that can contain God or can, as it were, wrap God up. Uh, that's exactly how uh, the people of the nations build houses for their gods. They build houses for their gods to accommodate their gods to, as it were, uh, hold their gods in. It's a way of localizing uh, and providing for your God. But when Solomon comes to dedicate the house of God uh, in Zion, he's very emphatic in his prayer that that's not what we're doing. We're not, as it were, containing him within the creature. So he says in verse 27 of his prayer, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this house which I have built? And I think he gets at that most important aspect of this doctrine of incomprehensibility, that God is not contained by the things that he has made. Now, if we, if we were to make the argument, well, then that means we can know nothing about him, and that would miss the point, because the, the point is, if, let me put it this way, if Solomon were to take that mentality, either we comprehend God or we know him not at all, then his response might be, you know, this house that I've built, to reveal his presence to us in the thick glory cloud. Um, this really is of no purpose. It's nothing. I I, it's nothing because if I can't contain God, if I can't comprehend him in the house that I've built, then let's just tear the house down and walk away because either we can contain him um, and therefore know him or we can't contain him. And Right, and that's the way a lot of times it's pitched. If, if you affirm divine incomprehensibility, then... What about the Bible? It's, it tells us true things about God, and so you're just saying we, we can't know or trust anything that we read because it's not the whole thing. Right, and by analogy, I would say that would be the equivalent of Solomon saying, well, I've built this house, but I, he can't be contained by this house, so what's the point? Right, right. Uh, sometimes the way I put it is we should think of these created structures in which God reveals himself as finite structures revealing uh, and and displaying the glory of an infinite God. But, but given the medium, whether the medium is a house on a hill built by Solomon in which a, a thick glory cloud resides manifesting the glory of God, or whether it's the words of scripture, or whether it's, or whether it's the thoughts in my mind uh, stirred up by the words of scripture, none of these finite structures, whether it's the structure of my thinking or whether it's the structure of the house on Solomon's you know, hill in Zion, None of these finite structures is actually equal to right. the glory of the God that they reveal. But that doesn't mean they're not true or, you know, legitimate. You could you could have a book of theology that contains truths about God. The scriptures, of course, are true in all that they affirm. And yet it's not the totality of it. And I think this is that this is, in fact, part of some people will respond to that and say, oh, well, then what's the point of worship? But in fact, in Scripture, the incomprehensibility of God is so far from sort of being the, the chill hand that cools our worship. Uh, it, in fact, inspires it. Mm -hmm. uh, I think of the words of David uh, in Psalm 145 where he, he talks about in the first few verses how every day I will bless you, I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised. And then he says, 
and his greatness is unsearchable or literally unfathomable. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea, using this idea of fathoms, the idea that I can't, as it were, drop a measuring line on God so that my mind could actually search out the the depths of God. I mean, the the, re- the reality is that there is no, as it were, bottom of God's glory. There is no last thing down there in his glory. So that when we think of God, we're thinking of the one whose glory is in fact inexhaustible and un and unsearchable. Rather than being uh, sort of in despair over this fact, uh, the psalmist responds by saying, "Well, then I'll just give him worship forever and ever." Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think this is this is something that should inspire Christian worship: is that if God were comprehensible, that would mean that God was finite; that God was con- that God was able to be contained by the mind of the creature. When I, when we say this, by the way, we should be clear that we're, we're saying that God is incomprehensible to the creature, not that God is incomprehensible to himself. What this does for us though, is this inspires uh, endless praise and endless worship because we're worshiping the one whose greatness and whose being is in fact boundless. Um, if I can put it like this, if God were comprehensible, then you could make a great argument that we could actually give him enough worship. Right. So we're not skeptics about a knowledge of God, and we're not pantheists believing that we can sort of fully understand or that God has revealed himself in that way in the created things. Right, that the creation holds him in. Exactly, uh, exactly. Or, or sets his limits. But but we do have to affirm that though we can come to a true, a true knowledge of God uh, by his grace, we never comprehend him, right. and we never, we never fully grasp even the truths that we affirm that God is in fact greater than our greatest thoughts of him, that there is this um, inexhaustible beyondness in his being. And again, not a beyondness that lies in the things we don't know, but a beyondness in what we do know. So that while we know that God is good, we do not, as it were, comprehend the goodness of God. While we know that God is wise, we don't comprehend the wisdom of God. While we know that he is powerful and likewise, we don't, comprehend that power that is to say our minds have not fully as it were gotten around the thing mm-hmm. whilst we know it and i think this is an important there there is a practical aspect to incomprehensibility and in that i think if we don't keep this in mind that god is incomprehensible we will find ourselves frustrated when his ways are mysterious to us the, the mystery of God's ways, we think of, we think of uh, Paul's words in Romans 11, that his ways are, his paths are beyond searching out. Mm-hmm. If we don't remind ourselves somewhat regularly that God is incomprehensible, we might very easily fall into this mentality that his ways are not beyond searching out. That if he's comprehensible, then everything that he is or does arguably should make sense to me. Uh, right. and, and I think we set ourselves up for either on the one side disillusionment because we expect to fully grasp and understand what God is doing and why he is doing it, because we think that God is, in fact, not so difficult to understand. He's, he's potentially comprehensible. We'll set ourselves up for disillusionment when we find out that that's not the case. Or on the other side, we might set ourselves up for idolatry, which is to say, we'll insist that God be um, finite and comprehensible, uh, and in and in the end, we'll fashion him in the image or conceive of him as something that is in fact limited and bounded in being or glory. Yeah, and it's probably worth ending on that rhetorical question that Paul begins that passage that you just alluded to with, which is, "Who has known the mind of the Lord?" And of course, the implicit answer is 
no creature no creature could all right james always good to talk with you thanks and look forward to having another conversation sometime soon thanks jonathan thank you for listening to theology on the go As always, I want to remind you that we are supported. In fact, we couldn't do what we do without the help of listeners like you. So if you'd like to donate to Theology on the Go, you can do that at AllianceNet.org. There's a donate button there or PlaceForTruth.org as well. There's a donate button there. And uh, as always, we'd, we'd invite you to tell your friends, anyone you think that might benefit from this podcast, we would love to help them and we'd love to hear from you. So if you have any suggestions, topics that you'd like us to address, questions you'd like us to answer, you can contact us via the websites that I just mentioned. And thanks as always for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth.